0: Welcome to The Property Planet, a podcast with Simon Howley and Amanda Perotten of Bell Howley the show all about the tax and legal issues surrounding property ownership, where we discuss everything that affects property investors and developers and go deep into the details to unravel the advice, highlight the traps you can fall into and dispel the myths surrounding property ownership in the UK. Morning Amanda. Good morning Simon, how are you? How's sunny Spain? Very good, very well indeed. A little bit tired watching the football last night but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have England in the next round and the next Tuesday. So, I was going to say it's tiring watching, watching the movies. football, certainly, if you're watching England play. Well, yeah. it's kind of a bit dull, but there you go. So, yeah. who do we have on this week's episode? Oh, I'm delighted to have invited Patrick Wayback um, to chat to us um, regarding sort of general updates as well, looking at residential um, property update, residential property tax updates, looking at SDLT reporting. Uh, inheritance tax and so on so he's going to give us a general overview um, and just some real insights into what people should be looking for and uh, and approaching him with the the questions of what they should be asking. Good morning Patrick.
1: Morning Patrick. Morning good morning nice to see you all and uh, I'm not so jealous this time so the last time I saw you it was very blue sky behind. It looks a bit like England behind, so I'm not. I'm not as jealous as normal. So oh, that's. No house anything, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it looks a bit grey. We moved to the east end of Marbella
1: now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, well, thank you very much, and uh, I had a nice little chat with Simon and Amanda just now. And what I'm, what I, what I'm in the process of doing um, is every now and then I produce a, a little sort of newsletter for people who are interested. Which is called Tax Brief, which I thought was a really, a really good uh, subject, actually, because brief can be lawyer and brief can be short. But anyway, no one else seems to think it's as good as I do. But anyway, (laughs) I thought it was good. Uh, And I was just discussing what I'm, what I'm about to talk about because I'm in the process of writing an article just on what Amanda said, because everything has changed on property for, in relation to residential property and also in relation to land generally in the UK. And for UK residents, and more importantly, I suspect for for your, a lot of your clients, for non-residents. And so, those of those who are my age, which is probably not many people left, actually. But if you are my, <laughs> it was life is very simple. You didn't pay capital gains tax if you were non-resident, and you, and you just move on to the next box. But now, now of course, if you are non-resident, you are going to you are going to have to worry about um, tax on on UK land fairly significantly, uh, and. That comes across into capital gains tax. Uh, so you, we, if you've got residential land gains, you've got to worry about that. You've got to worry about ATED, which has been around since 2013. We'll have a little word about what you might do to get rid of that. Uh, inheritance tax, we all know about the structures we used to do for our clients, with quite simple. You had a, a non, you a, had a foreign company, didn't you? Only UK residents, no, no inheritance. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, and just to make life even worse, they've um, just introduced, haven't they, an additional 2% rate of stamp duty if you're non-resident buying UK, UK property. So I think I worked out that the and younger younger listeners, please close your ears. But I think I worked out that if you if you look at the house I'm living in now, the price that we paid for it back in 25 years ago, would be less than the stamp duty that you'd have to pay now to buy to buy the house and that's not just to do with inflation that is because it's gone from one percent to what is it a top top rate to 15 percent or something else. so yes. this is unbelievable and this is sort of crept through as far as i can see without anybody noticing mm. but, but my clients oh, and the other thing that made me smile and amanda always makes me smile by the way was that um she said i could be very general in other words this is this is just to sort of raise ideas for us all and uh and she said it's not death by subsection. So this, <laughs> this talk is now called not death by subsection. Anyway, so the, st- the starting point is, I'm uh, just looking at my notes. So I don't get this too wrong. You've got 2013. Everybody knew, as I just said, he didn't have to worry about tax for non-residents. Then along came ATED, which we all know about annual tax on envelope dwellings, which is basically you had a a company that could be other structures that owned your property in the UK. But they also introduced gains tax. So, there was ATED related gains. In 2015, they began to push it out. So, you had non-resident capital gains tax, which applied to non-resident persons, such as individuals, trustees, and and closely held companies in respect of... uh, uh, UK residential property interests. And then they had this 2017, they had a consultancy paper. And now from April 2019, everything has completely changed. And so that's really, really where we are. And the, the one of the other points to so and the main thing I think is that non-residents have to now be aware that dis- disposals of UK land can give rise to, to capital gains tax. And in addition, I think one of the killers that's come in relatively recently is um, this thing about UK residents selling residential land. They now have to report that disposal, don't they? I'm sure you've done this with your class lots of times yeah, yeah. within 30 days. And that's even if they don't make a game. And I was reading the other day that already there are 13,000 people, according to Taxation Magazine, who've suffered a penalty for failing to disclose. So... Yep. It's something that your average person, or even your very bright solicitor, would necessarily be aware of. So it is something that I think we all we all need to to be clued up about. So, so I
0: think, though, Patrick, that's a, that's a, a really important point. Is that some of the things that we're we're doing and dealing with at the moment is where you have in your mind and your your own understanding of what the position is and, and what needs to be paid and the additional surcharges that need to be paid. And we're actually in the process of really correcting mistakes that have been made um, and sort of perhaps genuine mis- mistakes whereby it's just become so confusing and convoluted that um, solicitors are really actually struggling to keep up with understanding what should happen. And I, I know solicitors as a rule, are, are standing back from giving the tax advice, rightly, but um, but I think they're, they're also falling into a trap where they think this is a relatively straightforward transaction and no reporting is required or nil is, is, is payable on the SDLT and they're actually getting it wrong. Um, and this, yeah. and this, this is a growing problem that we're coming up against. Yeah, there a case yesterday, I think, where a, a client transferred a property into a company that
1: he owned, and was obviously... Um, and the conveyance said it was exempt. So I asked of why are you things exempt? Uh, because a client told me it was.
0: <laughs> and then they're they, they say, Well, I don't give any abatement tax. Well, that's fine, but then they don't file a return
1: if you don't yeah. give them abatement tax. Um, anyway, yeah. so that's yeah. a problem. You need to correct that one, but uh, it's quite common. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is obviously absolutely right. And uh, there's quite a market now, isn't there, for people examining SDLT returns because it, because it has become so difficult, particularly with multi use. And there are lots of cases about what multi-use means. You know, is it 100% residential? What happens with, with your with your garden? Is that part of it or not? Um, because we used to think that the the test for determining a dwelling and its garden was the same as the capital gains tax test. I can't remember the exact wording, but for the better use of the house. Yep. But I think there's just been a case well, just recently, which says that for stamp duty land tax, which I'll probably call stamp duty for you now, but from the stamp duty is isn't the capital gain to tax chest. It's just if the garden is is attached. So, wow. you know, it's, it's quite a dodgy thing. Anyway, so just just going back to where we are. So we've got the uh, you know we, we're going back effectively to 2019, and we've got the the quotes what I call the newish rules. What hasn't changed is if you're an individual with a property that you're using in connection with a, a branch or agency, that's still that's obviously still uh, subject to tax. If you're um, not resident. But the other things, as we were saying, if you've got an interest in UK land, then that is, uh, that, that is within the charge to capital gains tax as a non-resident individual. Or if you've got an, um, a substantial indirect interest in, a, uh, in, a, in a UK land where that the asset in question um, gets at least 75% of its value from land. So put into English, if you're a close company, for example, and the value of that close company is just 75% in UK land and you've got a 25% interest or more in that, in that close company, suddenly you find you've got a capital gains tax charge. So that's, that's something I think that's crept well. Not, I'm sure all your clients know it, but it's something we have to keep reminding ourselves. Uh, and again, with, with companies, you've got the same sort of thing now. If you've got pre- pretty similar test, if you're a non-resident company, you're going to find that you are, if you've got a substantial interest of that nature or a direct interest in land, you've now got a, a, a corporation tax on chargeable gains tax issue. So it is something that that uh, you know does take non-resident taxpayers by, by surprise. Uh, and when you add in the UK aspect of having to report residential gains or just residential disposals, the whole thing has has changed. Really, really dramatically. So, I, I think that's that's really, really quite a big issue. One of the things is what what residential land means for these purposes, and it's 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 you can have a situation where you have for capital gains tax purposes, there's the same sort of idea that you have for stamp duty of mixed use. So, you can have partly residential and partly not. Uh, and you've got that takes us to the definition of a dwelling I think everybody thinks we know what a dwelling is but you know it's not as straightforward as all that so you need to speak to these other two guys to to find that out then I was amused to see that the office of tax simplification uh, has been has uh, has been at work again I mean I I think I know how, how I would simplify it which is one of my friends actually was, I think he was called up to give some evidence to one of the sort of parliamentary committees. And he just took with him the Hong Kong tax legislation, which I think is about this big, and they brought in the UK tax legislation. I think I think if you you know, if you just, just copy the Hong Kong one, it, you'd be it is extraordinary, isn't it? I am gonna stop saying like Methuselah. When I started there was one orange book and one yellow book. I I can't even, I don't know how many there are anyway. So of tax implication, one of the things they're saying, picking up what Amanda was saying, was that they're now thinking that, for example, uh, they they should talk about how you make better for capital gains tax deciding what is your principal private residence. Because I think that's sort of been a bit tricky. But they they think this 30-day period that we talked about is just too short. So they're talking about extending it to 60 days, which I think everybody would agree. So... Capital gains tax, the situation, as we were just saying, is you've got this this new idea that you can be subject to capital gains tax, corporation tax on child gain in respect of UK land, but a residential property gain, then you have to report that uh, if you're UK. And if you're not UK, you'll still be subject to tax anyway. So the whole thing is quite different. And inheritance tax is something that, again... You know, we all grew up with the ideas we we're saying that you have this structure with a with a, a non-domicile person, a foreign a foreign company holding the land, holding the residence, and that changed relatively recently in 2017. Now, where where I have had this recently sort of creep up is not particularly in relation to the sort of the sort of thing you might expect just looking at a normal structure, but it was in a, a just a just a company reconstruction where you had a situation where the shareholders wanted, who were individuals wanted to even out their ownership of more than one company. And so they just thought they were all non-domicile. They could just transfer some of the shares across from one to the other. So, you know, one's got 46%, one's got 54%. Why doesn't the one give 4% 4 of the shares away? But if you tracked through it, you found you got into the close company and that close company had residential land, and then you find if that residential land is uh, valuable, and you can say that five percent of your interest or more related to the underlying UK residence, you've suddenly got your outside the excluded uh, property uh, position. So I think that's something that's something to bear in mind. So just just when you're inheritance tax again, that's changed dramatically, and also. Look, look at the definition of what is a, a residential property interest in those circumstances. It can include loans in certain circumstances. So just just be aware of that. Then moving on to ATE, I think we probably did ATED last time, didn't we? So I don't want to sort of go on to it too much. But it strikes me that um, you've got – that, again, ATED is is just um, something to keep, to keep bearing in mind. And this feeds from inheritance tax because – because there's no particular point in having that, this structure anymore for non-domiciliaries, the one involving a company, you want to get rid of it, particularly because if you don't, you've got ATED and the top rate of the top amount of tax is enormous, isn't it? So I appreciate these aren't there aren't many of these properties, but if you've got one of those big properties in London or elsewhere of over 20000000 million, million, you're, you're paying a quarter of a million pounds a year, which is extraordinary. We but, have
0: a client at the moment, actually, that's looking to do exactly that is to look into unwind it simply because yeah, yeah the annual charges are just yeah penal. I mean they yeah. really are phenomenal. Um yeah. so then it's then it's a yeah then it's a question of unwinding it all again. Um which can be and the,
1: yeah, and the diff- as you know, the diff- the difficulties are often. I mean, not actually. Sometimes they've got loans outstanding. I appreciate these clients don't, don't always, but if they've got loans outstanding, you've got to get rid of them. Mm. Because if you get if you unwind the company, if you wind up the company while the loan's in place, then you've suddenly got stamp duty because the the loan will pass with the land. You've got all the gains that we talked about to, to be worried about. So if the property's gone up in value, you've got that concern. You you want to you want to wind it up so it's not a distribution because if it's a distribution it will bring UK source income into charge and the minute a chap goes and occupies the property which by definition they are mm. you, you've remitted all that foreign source income so it is a bit of a, a minefield and it, the, I think the real problem is the stamp duty just getting rid of the getting rid of the debt if you can. Yeah. mrc have produced haven't they some statements of practice but they've got the sort of sort of Damocles which sort of says it should be okay yeah <laughs> so you've got to watch that so you know so there's all there's all those the, the sort of capital gains tax charge if there's a trust involved as well you might have additional trust gains which we can it's all very tricky so but but you know there, there we are what the only thing i would say is that the ones I've done recently, you, you, you'd want to get local advice, local to the residents of the company, because you want to make sure it's not a distribution. So there's a provision, isn't there? And I've got it in front of me. A moment. So having said this, not death by subsection, I've got it in front of me. It's CTA 2010 section 1030 tells me. If you, do a, if you do a winding up, it's not a distribution. But, of course, it's got to be – that's talking about a UK-style winding up. So what if you've got a, a Channel Island company? Yeah. Take advice from Channel Island lawyers and they'll tell you that it's the same. What about a Cayman company and so on and so forth? So it's all of that. Um, then stamp duty land tax, that was just you know just picking up a little bit more. As we were, As we were saying, there are two different rates of tax – One is the residential rate, uh, which is 12% for properties over over 1.5 million with a 3% surcharge if it's your second property. Whereas for uh, non-residential or mixed, it's 5% for over 250,000. So you can see why it is that people need to speak to you, Amanda, because they they need to know, which it is, the difference is extraordinary. Mm. And there are cases all the time, aren't there, of people that have, sort of have understandably misread the rules and, uh, you know, then, then the stamp office or whatever they're now called will, will pay back the additional amounts. So, again, you've got a definition of residential property there. And as I was saying, there's a case, which I'll come on to in a minute, uh, which talks about the fact that residential property here includes the land, which might be a garden, but it's not the same test as capital gains tax. Um quite an interesting case which i uh, called cartoon i think i've spelt that right k-h-a-t-o-u-n which was a chap who bought a, a dwelling in london and the use of a garden square and the the garden square bit i think was exempt because it's a license to use land so that's quite that's a plus plus. and you got this case uh hyman which is the the case i sort of referred to without mentioning it which is the one that says the the test of whether it's a dwelling at uh, is different from capital gains tax. So if it's just if, if effectively the land is part of uh, part of the property, then, then you have to pay the, the full residential rate. And again, just by a little beef, what made me smile was that the in that case, the taxpayer, they went to the upper tribunal, read out to the tribunal the in you know, the um, HMRC manuals. And they said, "Well, in the manual, you say we apply this test, we apply that test." And uh, he or she got their wrist slapped for being so rude as to mention what the revenue thought the position was, because it was obviously they could change their minds. And I, I in back in the day, I had a fantastic judge once, who, um, when we mentioned that we were, you know, we weren't going to rely on a manual, but here was the manual, he actually had got hold of it, and he actually waved it at the at the tax barrister for HMRC and said, this would have been your skeleton of, wouldn't it, if you realized you were going to lose? So should <laughs> bin it been it? Anyway, those judges don't exist anymore. So they've obviously been uh, removed. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just going back to what we were saying, there's another case here, M M M A S Fabrics, Hong Kong. And this is a, a chap who got a firm of advisors to complete his or her, I think it was a him. Uh, SDL re, SDLT return, and he—I can't—I didn't dig in the case. He sought relief from the 15% tax. It wasn't available, but he—he um, he didn't know it wasn't available. He went ahead and claimed it, and now he's been—he's been clobbered with uh, with the SDLT, and I presume a penalty as well. So you just have to be have to be very careful. Um, and just as I mentioned, SDLT is now going up. To add an, a two percent surcharge if you're if it's a non if you're non-resident, with effect from the first of April, I wasn't sure why it was the first of April, except this, you know rather than the sixth of April. But again, I don't know whether you've seen they're talking about moving the the tax year from starting on the sixth to the first. If they're going to do that, why not put it on the first of January? I mean that makes sense, doesn't it? I once had to explain to an American why it is the why we start on the sixth of sixth of April. All to do with the quarter day of it being in 25th of march and then switch from the gregorian to the julian all that. he looked to me as if i was completely balmy. so i just said all right just just, just write down the sixth with you so back in York, you go for the first of january that's very strange very quaint anyway so <laughs> anyway you might, moving, you might be moving to the first anyway so they you know you've got this new two percent and uh just to show how exciting my life is, I was reading the FT on, uh, on, uh, over the weekend. And there's a really quite a good question in that by FT Muddy. Give the chap his to you. A chap called Robert Barham was giving the answer. So to the extent it's right, he's, he's got it right. If it's wrong, my apologies. But if the question is quite good, actually. It just says, my wife and I are looking to invest in London property. We live in Hong Kong, but we hope to relocate to London. Are there any pitfalls to be aware of before deciding on a purchase? Not really. Just just go. Yes, there are, <laughs> there are. There are quite a lot. So first of all, he says number one, the two percent surcharge is coming. Well, I have got that right. And then he says number two, there's a three percent additional rate if you, it's your second property. So that's that's pretty amazing. Um, and then he then he talks about the the new. Um, Capital gains tax rules, and you confirm that the—I should have said—the rate is twenty-eight percent on a disposal. So you've got that on the gain, um, and then it's, so it's all just pretty, pretty gruesome, really. Yep. Then, sort of moving, sort of coming towards the end. There's some, just to just there's something else that caught my eye, which is this new proposal for a residential property, property developer tax which got me a bit concerned until you go into it. It's not, it's not as bad as I thought. So it talks about residential property development where you've got, um, it's for companies undertaking UK residential property development. And there's—and it's more than, your profits are more than 25 million pounds. Uh, and this apparently is sitting side by side of what I think is a very welcome tax, which is to do with people developing high-rise buildings in, in London, which obviously deal with the, uh, they're the calling Brentfall tragedy so there's that uh, what I found interesting that they they have not got a definition of profits and they, they they're they wondering whether to include losses or something which but well, I could help them with that that would seem to me to be quite a good definition of property of property profits anyway it's going to catch new construction buildings for sale or for rent conversion and sale of a development site so and then the final, final thing was just a, a case where the taxpayer won in the Supreme Court, which is a VAT case, uh, a nature of a sale and leaseback. And it's a case called Balhousie, if I pronounce that right, B-A-L-H-O-U-S-I. But what that was to do with was really if you have a sale and leaseback, which obviously involves selling it effectively to the funder and then taking a lease back, do you, when the, Have you basically kept zero rating in that situation or is there a moment in time when, if you like, the property is no longer yours, you've you no longer got an interest in the property? And as it went through the lower, lower courts, they were saying that you did lose your entire interest because there was, if you like, a moment in time when you'd sold the freehold before you got the leasehold back. But one of my favourite judges, uh, Lord Briggs, he's very sensible, he just said, interestingly, I'm not sure it was quite in these words, but you know, if it was tax avoidance, we'd be looking at the what the real effect was, we'd be looking at a purposive approach. So, well, let's do the same here. This isn't tax avoidance. So, we'll just say that the reality is that when you sell and buy back, you haven't really lost your interest in the property. And so, the zero-rated supply remained. So, that's that's really quite a good case and quite a useful thing that they've actually applied Ramsey to help a taxpayer rather than to clopper them.
0: Yeah. Surely with that one as well. I mean, um, you it must occur simultaneously. So uh, the sale and the leaseback must all happen. Yeah. two minutes when you're dating the document when <laughs> yes. you're dating the first document. Yes. and then yeah. you date the next yeah. one. Surely the whole nature of it would be that. Yes. It would
1: simultaneously. I agree. No, I agree. I think I agree. I mean, I think you have to. I have to. You have to meet Lord Briggs. You get on with him very well. I mean, he's sense hes sensible. He's very sensible. If you're listening, Lord Briggs. <laughs> <rip it>. anyway. <laughs> but, but seriously, I think it's, it's nice to have a common sense approach. And you, you know, you look you look around at the moment. It's very strange. I don't want to bang on too much about litigation, but on a different subject, there was this case involving Raymond Tooth and uh, the meaning of discovery, and he had done a tax scheme. Now when he came to put the details, the figures for the tax scheme, he had a partnership loss. but the, at that time the online tax return rejected any figure that went into the, into the partnership position, just what well, the, the software couldn't handle it. So he put it somewhere else and then he put in a really good white space entry, which ended up by saying UHMRC will disagree with this approach. So I imagine you'll want to start an inquiry. Uh, And it went all the way through to the Supreme Court. And the Revenue argued, even the Supreme Court, that that was a deliberate inaccuracy. And therefore, the discovery process allowed them to go careless or or even deliberate, which is a 20-year timescale. And they argued that it was obviously deliberate because he meant to do it. And it was obviously an inaccuracy because it was in the wrong place. And, you know, I felt sorry for the poor old barrister arguing it because the... the, uh, the Supreme Court judges were not having having it. So, what I'm getting at is that the, he had lost in the case in the court below three 0 yeah. and then he wins five 0 So, it is quite tricky. And so, it's it's good that you know you do eventually get um, some good decisions. By
0: so, which time he was bankrupt with the cost. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably. But he got he's got a moral victory. <laughs> That's great, Patrick. That's uh, as, as all. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much, and nice to speak to you both. And I hope yes. To- and good
0: to see you. Thanks for all your Take
1: care. All the best. Right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, and tune in next time when we discuss more of the tax and legal issues surrounding your business and property needs.